Turn with me then, if you will, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Today we'll be reading all 12 verses of what has been referred to as the servant's song. The book of Isaiah is quoted and referred to indirectly as many times as any other Old Testament book in the New Testament. Jesus quoted Isaiah many times many times, and this particular chapter receives a lot of attention in the New Testament. And really it is the central uh, prophecy, you might say, one of them, of the Lord himself and, and who he would be. It's interesting to me that this chapter talks, though, often in the past tense, as though it had already happened. And Jesus stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and his promise is unequivocal. It would stand, and so in perhaps every sense of the meaning, it might as well have been in the past, sense, past tense. But I want to talk to you today, and the title for our message would be, Who Has Believed? Who Has Believed? I want you to search your own heart this morning as we read this passage. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter what perhaps even you have thought before. I'm asking you today to examine your heart in this moment, on this day that we've been given. None of us given any promise of another, another day um, to live, but we've been given today. So this very precious and descriptive chapter written hundreds of years before the Lord's coming you could not have you could not have arranged for this for this kind of writing to some 700 years before the Lord came and he lived he was born and it and he died and he rose again and Isaiah writing about it 700 years beforehand these are things that are beyond man's ability to to do, and the scriptures itself the scripture itself is such a testament to its own legitimacy. But today again, I would ask you to quiet your hearts and your thoughts and search them and to, to examine them in, in light of of what we will read here. And answer the question whether or not you are one who has believed. Isaiah writes in verse 1, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living and stricken of the transgression of my people? And they have made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the enemy, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Who has believed? Isaiah begins this servant's song, as it has been called, with this rhetorical question. Who has believed? Who has believed? It's a question that has an answer, and one that is highly enlightening, I think, to the Christian faith. One that I think, in our experience of Christianity in the United States over the last 100 to 200 years has been an, an exception to the rule where we like to think that most believe. It makes us feel more comfortable, I think. It makes us maybe more at ease to think that most would believe, but it seems to me that the implied answer here and the direct answer in so many other places in Scripture is that the answer is few. Who has believed? Few. Few have believed. It's not the answer that we want to hear. This answer rings true, though, with much of what we read in the Old Testament and the New. No greater authority than Jesus himself can be quoted 
to support this belief that it, there seems to be few. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew twenty-two fourteen, Many are called, few are chosen. Romans 9, 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. We see this in the way the stories of the Old Testament play out. The whole world had gone wicked to such a point that God said, I'm going to send a flood. And for a hundred years, Noah was preaching the, the coming destruction. For a hundred years, as he built that ark with his three sons, he was telling the world that they needed to escape the destruction that was to come. But in chapter 7 of Genesis, verse 13, we find out that a grand total of eight people got on the ark. Eight. All the others perished. Who has believed? The answer seems to be, in one sense, few. It seems to be, at least to me, an inescapable biblical truth that those who believe are fewer than those who do not. In our day, I think we seek confidence for our own beliefs by seeking validation of those beliefs in others, don't we? We, we try to anchor what we believe. We try to nail it fast to the ground by drawing on the strength of what we perceive to be the belief of most of those around us. And there's a great danger in that. You see, when I ask the question, and when the title of the message today is, Who has believed? Really the deeper question that is asked is, Do I believe? But so often, as is our tendency, we, we try to draw upon the strength of others. We, we seek confidence for our own beliefs by determining whether or not those around us believe. But this is not the right way to think when it comes to seeking, finding, and following God. It's not how you ought to look at this question. What ultimately matters, and if there is something, there's one point that, that I pray that you take away from this message. There's one thing that I, that I want to present for you today. It would be this. What ultimately matters for you is whether or not you believe this report from Isaiah. Do not look to others to confirm your own convictions about Christ. Search your own heart and seek to find and follow him yourself. And by the way, this goes not only for those who might be seeking to find him in salvation, it also goes when you have found him and are following him. 
what he convinces you of from scripture and as the spirit works on your heart and in your heart and he calls you to do something with your life i want to encourage you to put your whole heart into that and do not concern yourself overly much with what others may think about it i am not telling you to be a maverick I am certainly not telling you or encouraging you to do anything contrary to the word of God, but I am telling you today what matters for you today is not what the other 7 billion people on the planet think, be they friend, foe, family, stranger. What matters is where are you today before the Lord? Do you believe? And when we realize the answer to this question of Isaiah is of who has believed, when we realize it's few that, that changes, I think, our perspective upon Christianity and upon God and upon our lives. Do not look to others, but find him yourself. We might say, we've heard this in the negative connotation more often than the positive, but haven't you heard, maybe even said, what does it matter what other people think? Have you heard that before? What does it matter what other people believe maybe even again you've said that yourself well today i want to bring before us each and every one of us today this report that isaiah gives regarding the son of god the messiah the savior the redeemer the only one that we have any hope in what do you believe about this report what is in your heart when you hear it. What do you think of Christ? Because you see, we're not all at the same time. I don't know how God is going to work this out. He is beyond our comprehension. He is infinite. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He will work this out. But I will tell you this, there will be a sense on the day of judgment. There'll certainly be a sense on the day that we leave individually this life. We will not all be gathered before him to answer together. We'll be there answering individually. I'll be answering for me and you will be answering for you. We all hold accountability before God because we are each one created by him. We've all been given life because he gave it to us. So what do you believe about this report? What is the report? We just want to look at it today as we come here today and we'll be observing the Lord's Supper and remembering the Lord's death. We want to have this top of mind and top of heart today. What is the report? Well, first of all, in verses 2 and 3, why has no one believed, or so, excuse me, why has so few believed? This answer to the rhetorical question given in verse 1, well, verse 2 and 3 gives us some insight into that, and there seem to be several reasons that Isaiah gives anyway. First, his coming was unobserved by most people. In the second verse, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. His coming was unobserved. It's like a plant coming up out of dry ground. You wouldn't expect that. It doesn't make sense. It's not the way that you would expect a plant to thrive and to come forth. In a very similar way, Jesus 
came into the world as a baby, took upon himself flesh, born in a manger to poor people, to insignificant people in the eyes of the world, in an insignificant place in the eyes of the world. The world went on. When Jesus was born, the Son of God came into the world, and most of the world, it was just another day. Unobserved. Why have so few believed? Because certainly at the beginning, this his coming was in a way, it was unexpected in its timing. It was unexpected in its place. If this was the King of kings and Lord of lords, surely he would have come with great pomp and circumstance. Surely they would have been ringing the bells. Surely they would have been throwing a parade. Surely they would have been making note of this. Surely all the kingdoms of the world would have been pointing to this one. But that's not at all how it came. And I believe sometimes the Lord comes to us in that way. And when he comes to us individually and we ask the question, have you believed? Are you one who has believed? He comes to us at times that we're not expecting him. In a way that we're not expecting. At a time when we're not expecting. Maybe God's been dealing with you in your life and you've been pushing him away. But he's dealing with you at times and places that for you maybe even be terribly inconvenient. But God is trying to wrest your attention away from this world. That for just a moment you might put your eyes upon the world that is coming. Take your eyes off of the temporary and put them on the eternal. And when Jesus first came, and Isaiah speaking, by the way, as an Israelite, and he's talking about his people, when he says we, he's talking about us as a nation. We missed him, he's saying. How did we miss him? And by the way, again, he's talking in the past tense, but it's exactly how it played out 700 years later. We missed him, and you might think, how could I have missed him? If he's the king of kings, how have I missed him? I think, first of all, often people miss him because he doesn't come in the way that they're expecting and that so many might presume that he would come. His coming was unobserved by most, unnoted by the world. No king other than, of course, their Herod there who was heard about it some two years later. But that night, no one seemed to know, but those shepherds on the hillside did. As the angels broke the 400-year silence between the Old Testament and the New, and they declared the coming of the Son of God, Emmanuel, God, with us. But he also said in verse 2, there he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. There was nothing outward about Christ that drew people to him. He did not look like a king. You could not have looked at him and, and observed and said, there goes a king. You had to see him with eyes of faith. He was a man on the outward just like us. He didn't look like a king. And sometimes I think as well, again, we the Lord comes to us in unexpected times, in unexpected places, unexpected ways, and in situations that don't appear to be what we would expect. But not only these things where his outward appearance didn't wasn't anything unusual. The timing of his birth was unusual or not noted. Verse 3 says he was despised and rejected and, and not esteemed by most. Despised and rejected by men. It must never be thought that Jesus loved a world that loved him back. Jesus loved a world that hated him. 
Jesus came to a world not that received him with open arms. He came to a world that rejected him. Not only rejected him, despised him. Did not esteem him. He's the very son of God. And he's rejected by this world. He's rejected, I think, in part because of the sorrow and the grief that he bore. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in verse 3. I don't believe that Jesus would be called morose, but I believe that he was the farthest thing from the smiling preacher of so many pulpits today. I, I think he would have been a man acquainted with this grief that would have have walked with him through his life. Again, I don't believe that he would have been a morose figure or 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 any in any sense of the way like that. I, I, I think he was a, a man of thanksgiving to God and, and and took upon himself the joys of life and, and laughter and, and love and appreciation with those very few that were around him. But here was a man, Jesus Christ, who lived his life burdened beyond anything any of us have ever endured. And he's going around in his life and many despised him and rejected him, did not esteem him. And Isaiah gives us a hint into perhaps a little bit of why this is. This is a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. He's a man who, who understood the situation of this world. And by understanding it, it directed him to live and to behave and to speak and to, and to move and to go in a different way than most of the world. You see, Jesus, unlike so many today, he did not proclaim a gospel that promised earthly wealth and health and popularity and prosperity and all of these things. We know what he came to preach and to proclaim. Jesus came and proclaimed a forsake all and follow me gospel. Forsake it all. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples that very thing. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone will come after this king, this Lord, if anyone will believe, they're going to have to 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 uh, to abandon all other things and to pick up their cross, deny himself, and follow the Lord. So then, we see something of perhaps some of the reasons why so few believe. And I believe that in Isaiah's day, few believed. I believe that in Jesus' day, few believed. I believe yet today, it, it seems that few believe. But once again. Once again, the one thing that I want to bring to you above all other things, I'm not concerned with the masses in that sense. And neither should you be. Not in this sense. I'm concerned about the one lost sheep among the billions of people on the planet today. The one lost one who's out there that Jesus is now seeking. That Jesus is now tugging at their heart and revealing their sin. Yes, I'm concerned for the world. We are to love the world. But you can't love the masses of people. You love individuals. 
Jesus loved the world, but he loves the individuals. I'm not concerned about the masses in that sense when we ask the question, who has believed? I'm concerned about that one lost sheep that Jesus might be seeking out today, and perhaps that one lost sheep is you. You. And if it is you that Jesus is seeking right now, what does it matter what the other sheep are doing? You know, sheep are, 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 are animals that, that are their followers. There'll be one sheep that by some, some circumstance will be the lead sheep. If he takes a left, the rest of the sheep take a left. The, a sheep, the lead sheep takes a right, they all take a right. And they'll just follow that lead sheep no matter where he goes, whether he knows what he's talking about or not. And there may be a sheep out here today. You may be that one that are off on your own and you're seeking the comfort and the confidence of the crowd around you and trying to, to base the convictions of your life upon the convictions of the others around you rather than your own. And instead of answering the question, what do I believe? You're trying to make sure you fit in with what you think we believe. But it doesn't matter what we believe any more or, 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 or near as much as what matters is what do you believe? And so Jesus goes out and, and he told even that story of the lost sheep and he rejoiced as he found that one that had been lost. And I just want to ask you if it is you today. You're that one lost sheep. God's dealing with you. He's pulling you to himself. He's telling you to come and to follow him, to pick up your cross, to forsake all. You know you're broken, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. You know you need him. And if it is you, what does it matter how many goats might be around you and surrounding you in your life? It doesn't matter. Are you truly going to live the one life that you have are you going to live the one life that you have and head to the eternity beyond this life banking on the collective wisdom of the crowd? Or are you going to live this life convicted in your own heart of the truth about Christ and step out of this world and into the next, not with fear, but with confidence and hope and peace and joy? That's what Jesus desires, and this is what was what he came to make possible. Are you going to do this? Are you going to truly live your life that way? Or are you going to search your own heart here today, in this moment, and determine what it is that you believe? By the way, I wonder, I sincerely wonder how often, quote, our unbelief, is really just the projected unbelief of those around us? Or those we hold in high regard and has little or nothing at all to do with our individual belief? We're told that many hide their face from this one. Verse 3, as one from whom men hide their faces don't want to face the truth that they see in him. Who has believed our report? Many, many won't even listen long. They won't, they won't look at Christ. 
They don't want to go to church. They don't want to hear the scripture. They don't want to hear about uh, um, salvation and, and lost and, 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 and a burdened heart and a brokenness over sin. They don't want to look at him because looking at him tells them the truth about themselves. And so they don't esteem him. They disregard him. They despise him. And then the ultimate insult is this. They look away from him. They hide their faces from him like small children who don't want to see what they see. They close their eyes. Maybe it's something they're afraid of. If they close their eyes, then that thing that they're afraid of is gone. They don't look. They won't see it. Or maybe they, there's something that makes them angry, and so they close their eyes instead of dealing with what they're, they're looking at or, or they're confused. And, and again, maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're one with the answer, who has believed our report? Maybe your answer, the only honest one is, not me. I haven't believed. And maybe then, if it's even worse state than that, of just a lack of belief, maybe you look at Jesus and you hear what he has to say and, and, and you don't like what he has to say about you and about the need to be saved. And, and so you, you turn your eyes from him and you hide your face from the Lord. I beg you not to do that today. I want, I want you to, why is all of this necessary? Why is this needed? Why has Christ done what he has done in bearing our grief, as he says in verse four, carrying our sorrows? And again, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. This is what the, the report says. He took what we deserved. But why? Why did he have to do this? Verse 6, Isaiah interjects why. And this is, again, why so many sometimes don't want to hear. They, they want to turn their faces from him. Because he says, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We all have. Listen, everyone who is in Christ one day stood outside of Christ. All have gone astray. The, the Bible is undeniably clear on this point, and it is rightly a foundational doctrine of Christianity. Yet, with our thoughts in mind today, I ask you to examine your own heart and your own mind on this point. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The ultimate rejection of dependence and following of the God who gave us life is that. You know, I'm sure it's, a, it's, all, it's just almost certain. Most people think of themselves as decent people. I, I, I think that's probably true. And sometimes that can be a problem when we don't face the truth of the situation. Because we're measuring ourselves by ourselves. 
The Bible tells us when we do that, we are not wise. We think we're decent people, but I want to be, show you and tell you today, you're there in the darkness of your own mind. You're there in the darkness of your own sin. You know, I have met many who deny the universality of sin. I've met many who, who balk at this doctrine that all are lost, that all are depraved, that man is a sinner outside of Christ. I have met many who distance themselves from this doctrine. They don't like it. It doesn't sound like what they want to hear. It's not the painting of their life that they want to see. It's not what they want to think about. The world at large I have met many who say, look, most people are good. Most people are good and kind. And we're again measuring ourselves by ourselves. I have met again many who deny the universality of sin. But I have never once in my life, anywhere I have been in speaking about this doctrine, I have not met one person who in an honest heart and an honest conversation denied to me that, yes, I have sinned. Well, both cannot be true. The Bible tells us that all have gone astray. As a sinner, you have nothing to offer God. Spurgeon said it this way, nothing that man can present to God by way of sacrifice can ever purchase the blessing of forgiveness. It's all by mercy and grace. And why must it be mercy and grace? Because we've all gone astray. Who has believed our report? Who has believed this? Do you believe this? Again, why are these things necessary? Because every man is a sinner in the eyes of a righteous God. And it was his will to redeem us, cleanse us, forgive us for sin. But such redemption is not possible without a redeemer. And Jesus Christ, this servant that Isaiah writes about hundreds of years before he came, he is the redeemer of whom we speak. And this is the report. You are a sinner. But Christ is a redeemer of sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? That's all that matters. Are you tired? Are you sick of your sin sick heart? Are you at a place where you are feeling him coming to you and saying, I have sent my son, my only son into the world. I know you've heard that, no doubt, thousands of times. You've heard it so often that your ears almost don't hear it when the words are spoken. But just for one moment here today, listen to what Isaiah said hundreds of years before Christ came. This is the one who took our transgressions. Listen again to what he did. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He's picked those things up and placed them upon himself. And he did so to save, to forgive. Even though most seem to don't, don't esteem him, most are turning their eyes from him. What is it that you will do? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. I would encourage you sometime, even in your own Bible, or just write this passage out and underline 
the he and the us and the our and the his and just just put those things next to one another and understand again and see clearly what Christ has done for us and what God has done for us through Christ. And he did all of this willingly. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. No one forced him. He came because of his love for the Father and his love for you. He came as a lamb, though he was a king and is, a ki is the king of kings and lord of lords. He was the Lamb of God, as John called him, the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist called him in chapter 1, verse 29 of the Gospel of John. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is not a report of one who died at the hands of, a mere, of mere men. He died at the call of love for a lost and fallen world. And he came and he died for you and for me. Who's believed this report? If you can say, I believe it, then I rejoice with you today because I believe it. I know it to be true. Unjustly in verses 8 and 9, he is treated and he's handed over. It was not for crimes that he had committed uh, that he was crucified. No court in the land could find Jesus guilty of any wrongdoing. So the entire situation, do you see in verse 8 and 9 of this, by oppression and judgment he was taken away? The entire situation of his trial and his crucifixion was reversed rather than the just judging the unjust. It was the unjust judging the just. But I will tell you this today, there is a day coming where those tables will once again be turned. And it will be the just, Jesus Christ, judging the unjust. And that judgment will be true and right. This judgment on this day that sent our Lord to the, to the cross was unjust. And yet, at the same time, by God's divine will, it was according to His will that this all happened. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. <coughs> It was God's will to do this. What is this report? We're all sinners. We are in need of a Redeemer. God sent one. Many have missed Him. They don't believe the report. They turn their eyes and their face. But who has believed this report? In the rest of verse 10 and verse 11, we see the joy that comes though from this one who has come. Who, who has come and, and the, about whom this report is given. It says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall, he shall see his offspring. There's joy in the midst of this grief and this pain of the crucifixion. There's joy on the other side of it. And if you will come to Christ, that conviction that you feel in your heart for sin, if you will acknowledge that before the Lord and you will ask for forgiveness and you will repent of that sin and you will place your trust in Christ, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will pick you up out of that miry clay. He will set your feet on a rock. You will be done with that conviction. You will be done with that conviction. Confusion. You will be done with that darkness and you will step into the light of the love of God for the rest of the eternity. But you must believe. You must believe. My belief isn't enough for you. It will not flow over to you. 
But you must see it. There's joy here to be found. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, we say, the Hebrew writer says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And here, 700 years before it all happened, he says, he shall see his offspring. This servant, his soul makes an offering for the guilt. And when it does, he shall see those who believe. He's going to see, he sees you and me. When he went to the cross, he was in the depths of anguish. As God the Father himself crushed his own son for the sin that he took upon himself for the whole world, Yet it was joy through that as Jesus saw he was paving the way for lost man to God. He was paving the road that he wants you to walk, to find him, to know him. His days will be prolonged, will prosper the Father's will. From anguish, in verse 11, his soul shall be satisfied. Who's believed this report? This is the report of the gospel. This is the Bible in a chapter. This is the point of all that God has shown us. And that is that there is a way back to God. It has been made. We're told in verse 12 that this one continues to make intercession for transgressors. He continues to make this opportunity available to all who will believe. Do you believe this report? If you if you haven't fully given your heart to, to believing this report, I, I pray that you do today. Regardless of what others might do or think or say or have in their own hearts, what matters is what's in yours. What's in yours? If you have, if you have found the Lord and you know Him, I pray that your heart is filled once again with the overflowing love of God through Christ that He showed you. You refer back to that moment when God saved you. He drew you to Himself and the conviction of sin was real and the brokenness and the desperation that you felt and you turned things over to God and He changed your heart and darkness became light and death became life and you now know that you can never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and that when somebody stands like an Isaiah and he asks the question, who has believed our report? You can stand up and shout and say, I have. I've believed it. I believe it now. And I'll believe it to the ending age of eternity. I will spend with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe it regardless of others. I, I want others to believe it, but, but this is in my heart and yours is in yours. God has created us that way, unique individuals before him who has believed our report. I pray that you have. Let's have some.